0: about something where each week we dive deep into whatever it is we find interesting i'm your host calvin and joining me from an la courtroom it's your co-host nick richardson <laughs>
1: what's up <laughs> you can't I talk a lot say. in a courtroom i got get it
0: oh here will be held in contempt he will get arrested we're
1: what's back up, what's up your honor
0: <laughs> i gotta finish i'm not with a judge. That. there you well, go we're in court yeah, I'm ready. We're back. Well, you're in court. I'm not. I'm just here. All right. We're back. I'm going to say it again. In case somebody didn't hear me say it the first three times. Uh, we've been gone for a while. Just doing some stuff on our own. Vacations. Other things going on. But we're back. We told you we'd be back. And we're back. We got something special. Something I didn't think we'd ever really get into. Because it's not my cup of tea. My wife really likes it. But it's really big. And we're going to dive into it. We're dipping our toes into the world of true crime for a very special episode, one time only. Unless you guys really like it, then we might do more. Yeah, we might have something. We can figure something else out. Yeah, if, if you guys love it, let us know, because then we'll do more. Uh, But we're not... I don't plan to do, it on ver- to do it very much. But, you know, if this works out and people like it, then we might. Um, but we want to make sure that for this one, that may be the only one we ever do, we came with a good case. Do you think we got a good case?
1: I think we got a great case. That's I will say crazy. though, it was it was. Uh, let me just say it frankly. It was a bit of a mindfuck. Yeah. To kind of yeah, dive into awesome. it, and for something so serious, I don't know. It was almost. I can't even think of a word to say, but it was. It was almost. Uh, it's heavy, man. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the best thing I can. That's the best way I can describe it.
0: That makes sense to me, and that there's a lot going just to put it out there we are covering the case of the death of jennifer crawford uh in los angeles this happened in 2007 and honestly the case just gets crazier and crazier as we go through it yeah it's the epitome of a mindfuck absolutely Uh, before we get too deep into what actually happened in the case i just want to take time to note that i know the true crime genre and this is not our usual genre we usually do Basically everything other than this, um, <laughs> yep. but the true crime genre of podcasting has come under fire lately for you know not citing their sources properly. We um, tried to make sure that everything we got has a good source behind it. We used a combination of court documents we found and then books written by the prosecutor of this case and the perpetrator of the crime um and you can find a full list of the sources there's a link in the bio of this episode if you click the link it'll take you to our full source list uh just so we don't have to list them out one by one here uh but we we sourced it's in the link go check it out if you care that much yeah
1: please do and uh yeah man
0: we we uh, don't want to come under fire for not sourcing correctly because honestly we don't do this enough and if you guys get mad at us this one time then nobody will ever listen to us talk about harry potter well, and that's what I need in my life right now. Exactly. Like, those are the things I want to talk about. So if, if you guys don't listen to that, then that's going to be trouble. Trouble. So let's get into the case. We're going to try and work through it chronologically. Um, it might be a little hard. We might have to bounce around a little bit because it is kind of a crazy case and it takes some detours here and there. And uh, we'll try and take detours as needed to just dive deep into things as they come up. We'll do our best. So Nick, We'll weave you this tale, guys. We're going to weave it. We're going to do our best. Again, not our forte. So if you're joining us for the first time, we know there's a lot of true crime fans out there. So if you're joining us for the first time, cut us some slack here. This is our first foray into it. We don't know how often we're going to do this. Consider it a special episode. It is a special episode. So let's start with the night of the crime. Uh, Jennifer Crawford is found gravely wounded in her Los Angeles home. On the night of April 20th, 2007, uh, the police responded because the uh, family's gardener, a very rich family, uh, they had called, they had heard gunshots in the house or from around the house, I guess. They they didn't know where it was. Um, which and then,
1: I will say, have, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but which is, please do. you know, where this neighborhood is, it's, it's a wealthy neighborhood. Um, yeah. No doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is very out of the ordinary it's not a gunshotty
0: neighborhood no
1: no this isn't you know an area of of bad taste we'll just say that
0: they're not i've been watching uh the wire a lot lately they're not in west baltimore where like gunshots are heard every 30 seconds so like this was like you said very out of the ordinary you know the the gardener hears it he calls in right away because that's not something you're used to hearing four gunshots he heard so it's you can't mistake that for a car backfiring no, absolutely not, especially in a neighborhood where
1: no cars backfire. Um, I yeah, imagine they because all... Because they're
0: Cadillacs
1: and yeah. uh, BMWs and so forth and so on. Stuff of like that. It's, it's one of those upscale neighborhoods. Aston Martins.
0: Evidenced by the fact they have a gardener. Yeah, I don't have a gardener. I don't. Pod, the podcast money is not that good. Believe I don't it or even not. have a garden for a gardener mm-hmm. to garden. That's rough So he, uh, the gardener, had reported to the police that both Jennifer and her husband Ted were in the home at the time of the gunshots. He saw them both come home when they came home, and uh, he hadn't seen anyone since then leave uh, or come in. So he heard the gunshots. Nobody leaves or comes in after that. And then uh, the police arrive on the scene a little bit later. They also report they've got kind of the the road cased. They report nobody's left the home since they arrived. So again, husband and wife in the house. That's all we know and gunshots, nobody leaves since then. Uh, The police get there, they realize that they're dealing with a potential hostage situation, and this is when Lieutenant Rob Nunnally appears on the scene. He is there, uh, he's kind of like a hostage negotiation specialist, so he's there to help with the potential hostage situation. He's going to be important later. It's important that he shows up and uh, that he's there. Well, he's... uh... I want to say he's
1: the the highest rank, probably anywhere near there, Um, Mm -hmm. and so therefore he would lead the investigation at the initial point of attack, and that's kind of how he got involved, as well as the hostage negotiation. Even though I'm not quite sure of his background in hostage negotiation,
0: I couldn't find anything on that. No, nothing went too deep into that, but I, I think, like you said, he's just the highest ranking official there. They need someone to go in to talk to whoever is in the home with the gun, you know. So he goes in. He he calls. They got like a a gate on the front door. Goes through the gate. He enters the home, and uh, he finds Jennifer's body. That's a bad uh, Megan Fox movie. If anybody wants to check that out, you probably shouldn't. But so not only finds the body, uh, she he you know checks for a pulse or whatever. Appears to still be alive, uh, but has suffered a gunshot wound to the face. And uh, Ted, he, uh, in the, in the police reports, it said that Ted is standing there, gun in hand, confesses that he shot Jennifer in the face, uh, to Nunally. And then, for some reason, a scuffle breaks out between Nunally and Ted. Uh, Which... These are that that's just from the initial reporting of what we know. What happens of N- Nunally's you know initial report? He says that the uh, the scuffle breaks out there.
1: Which is, I mean, make that what you will. Um, but I, mean, I found that odd when I
0: initially read that. And Yeah, there, to me, somebody's got to be an aggressor there. If if he's just standing there with a the gun, why does a scuffle... And he's confessing, why is there a scuffle? That doesn't make sense to me.
1: Well, I mean, in my mind, if, if a perp, <laughs> a suspect, was standing across from me, there appears to be a dead body, or, I'm sorry... The, a a near-dead body. A near-dead body, with a gunshot wound to the face, so... In my mind, my assumption would be this person's either on their way out the door or like, you know, knocking on it about to walk through. And to have the suspect there with a gun and not fire on him, I didn't understand. I I just, I didn't understand that. Especially, I mean, I kind of looked at Nunnally
0: as trying to disarm him and it kind of broke out into a scuffle, but. Yeah, that that must be what it is. That's that's the only logical conclusion you can jump to here is that he's got the gun and you know, maybe not only asks him for the gun and he doesn't want to hand it to him. So so he, he kinda of forces it from him. I yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't there, obviously. Well his training kinda of kicks in. I'm guessing that was his that first reaction. Um is just yeah. get the gun at all costs. Yeah, that that could be. And uh, Obviously, we're gonna find out more of this when we get into the court case, uh, but there is more to the story when when we get there. Uh, but Ted is arrested and he's charged with attempted murder. Uh, Jennifer is recovered by the paramedics and taken to a local hospital where she's put on basically put on life support uh, because she's now in a coma from the gunshot wound. Yeah,
1: um, but this Still is a tough life. break. Tough break. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Even. You can't even shoot somebody point-blank in the face correctly, apparently, Ted. Come on. Which is, you know, based on his background, is hard to believe. Yeah, so let's talk about Ted. Let's do he's, it. He's Jennifer's husband. Uh, he's just, like, this super rich dude. He's a, basically an aerospace engineer. He owns his own firm that specializes in designing airplanes. And uh, he's described by other people. He's always, like, building putting things together taking them apart doodling like trinkets and things like that so he's just he's always got his hands moving he's always thinking and from you know what we've read of other people's impressions of him he's eccentric but careful and appears always like kind of be planning something
1: like he plays chess and he's always three three moves ahead and or at least he
0: thinks he's three moves ahead he he from what i got he's one of those guys that that he's always the smartest guy in the room very arrogant just wants to be right and wants to feel like he knows more than everybody else
1: yeah i didn't come across very high you know opinions of ted crawford and as an older man i think he he liked the finer things in life evidenced by you know what we see throughout the court case and Mm -hmm. you know jennifer i think was one of those
0: absolutely and being one of those finer things in life uh it comes out you know later as we go through the course we'll see this at some point uh ted has discovered that his wife is having an affair obviously to me this is why he shot her he found out about this affair he doesn't like that no he felt betrayed and can you blame him
1: you know
0: for feeling betrayed i guess you could blame him for shooting someone because that's that's you know, kind of cool. where
1: my mind goes it's like eh, you know what you shot her
0: yeah there, there are other ways to handle your anger yeah so i guess the next important thing to talk about now that we know the major players we know ted we know jennifer i, I guess we don't know much about jennifer other than that she's married to ted and she's having an affair she kind of likes to live the high life uh socialite type so, um, but let's move into the trial. Let's do it. Um, so Ted gets an initial arraignment, and this is where it starts to get weird all of a sudden. You know, it on the scene he confesses to the murder, but at the initial arraignment he pleads not guilty to the crime and decides he doesn't want to be represented by an attorney. He's gonna represent himself. Yeah. Um and he's not a lawyer. He has no lawyer school, he, he knows not nothing. School. Is that not the proper term? I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Again, this is not our the thing we do.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. My bad, people. <laughs> uh, but he's going to represent himself, which is pretty crazy. Well, let's just say it out loud. This is where – I mean, it's just getting started with this guy. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, who – you're accused of murder – and that you confess to. That you confess to. And there's witnesses to that confession with the,
0: the murder weapon in your hand. Well, he confessed once on the scene and in a separate interrogation. I mean, yeah. With murder weapon in hand. Everything points to him. And oh, Yeah. No. I mean, I guess I guess why not represent yourself if, at this point, you're going to jail anyways? Why do you need to pay a lawyer for that? I mean, either way, besides the fact this guy's a
1: – he's a very rich man. At having his own aerospace firm very rich man he, he he probably could have afforded the best lawyers in the country
0: but that i think that speaks to the speaks to his arrogance well let's talk about these best lawyers in the country such in the prosecutor who gets assigned to this case is the young willie beecham and willie beecham is this uh he's kind of like this hot shot attorney and he, this is like He's on his way out the door. Um, in his book, he writes that he was about to move on to uh, Wooten & Sims, which is a very large private firm uh, making the big, big bucks. And uh, this was basically one foot out the door. He gets saddled with this case uh, while he's working for the DA's office. And he it's supposed to be kind of a easy home run, no problems with it. Again, they've got the confession. They've got everything they need supposed to be easy peasy for him and uh I don't think it goes that way. It did not work out
1: that way. It couldn't have gone worse for Willie Beecham, uh, No. especially with one foot out the door and you're you're looking at easy street. It's I mean Willie Beecham is extremely highly regarded. He his book was really well, that's why
0: he that's why he's getting, you know, signed I am talking in like football terms, he's getting signed to this new firm. Like he's a free agent or something. Uh <laughs> But basically, he gets a job <laughs> offer at this at this big firm, Wooten and Sims, and like he he's very highly sought after at this point. He's got a great wins record, which to me like, and that's kind of why he he agrees to stay on this trial. Um, Crawford, in his arraignment, requests that Beecham stay on, which is a weird thing also. Um, and Beecham agrees to because it's supposed to be an easy win, and he's very proud of his wins record. Um, which like to me, that's always bothered me about the. Uh, the legal system is why why do wins matter wins shouldn't matter it should matter on uh, the, what should matter is getting things right right so like i don't think lawyers should be incentivized based on how many times they win in court they should be in, incentivized on getting things right well if you that's look at just, it that's just my two cents on it. this is why i don't we don't do crime very often because like these kind of things bother me of like this guy he, you know, he's been accused in his past of, like, fudging his stats or passing difficult cases on to other prosecutors so he doesn't have to deal with them. And he just uh, – I like, I don't like that. Like, I just want somebody who's going to get it right. Well, I mean, at one point his his uh, record was at, like,
1: 97% for his cases. So, I mean, he's, he was adept, but at the same time, if you want to – if we're putting it in black and white, I think it is – I guess right for lack of a better term when they're if that's their goal is to do something that may not necessarily be morally right and they achieve that I think they're you know they're in the end right which constitutes winning and I guess both sides want to do that and he's no different he's I, I, Willie Beecham has a, a bit of arrogance in him too well yeah uh, and to
0: to be a hotshot lawyer as I said you kind of have to
1: I don't know that's, uh, yeah, I've never met some punk ass hotshot lawyer. I've never met any hotshot
0: lawyers, but. So another, the next weird thing that happens, it's just weird thing after weird thing in this case. I promise you, just stay with us. It all comes together in a weird frenzy at the end. Uh, so Ted Crawford requests that he go straight to cry- trial. Doesn't want to waste anyone's time. He knows Beecham's got one foot out the door. Uh, so everybody agrees, and basically they go straight to trial on this. No other, no intervening steps, which I don't know what all of those would be, but they just go straight to it.
1: Well, from what I've come to understand, there's some kind of pretrial or just Mm -hmm. an arraignment. I think they, I think that it's it's called, I don't remember off the top of my head. I should probably have that term in front of me. Um, Maybe those of you out there who Eh. know better than I can let us know at APS. I'm sure we'll
0: get yelled at by a lot of crime fans uh, because we don't know what the hell we're talking about. So I'm good with that. That's quite all right. Let us know at APA something on Twitter. We're there. As we move towards the trial, um, Beecham in his book, he writes uh, that the gun that was collected as evidence that was taken from Ted Crawford on the scene of the crime has never actually been fired. So now they can't find the murder weapon, even though they thought they had it in the house when they went. And, you know, he at his house, uh, as they're doing evidence discovery, all that they find that you know they find the gun case and everything like that there's four bullets missing from that case and you know four spent casings were found in the house that match crawford's gun but the gun has never actually been fired yeah uh weird situation there nope yeah, so didn't... either there's there's a second gun that he's hi- hidden really really well uh, or yeah there's something going on there's no prints on the gun or the shell casings so uh, like there's they think they have all this evidence going into trial, and then all of a sudden, days before the trial, they realize they have no evidence. I mean, if they can't directly tie it to him... Other than witness testimony. Yep. At this point, Willie Beecham thinks he's screwed, but also still thinks he has a pretty good case, because he's got signed confessions and he's got witness testimony. There's not much to this case, except there's no murder weapon. So, Well, there's still a chance for him.
1: And at the same time, in his book, he mentioned that he... You know, he fully believed there was a murder weapon in that house somewhere.
0: Right. So it just had to be discovered.
1: Absolutely. And they assigned gargantuan amounts of manpower when it comes to L.A. to finding this this murder second murder weapon or just, you know, the the actual murder
0: weapon. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe he has two of the exact same gun and he's hidden one, like I said, really, really well. We don't know. Nobody ever left the house. It's got to be in the house somewhere. So we think. Right. Absolutely um so trial starts um we get to actual witness testimony uh the defense calls no witnesses because obviously again ted crawford did not go to lawyer school uh so he has no idea what the fuck he's doing uh so there are several witnesses called by the prosecution not a ton though because again it's pretty straightforward so the first person we hear from in the trial is Ciro, uh the crawford's gardener he's the one that heard the gunshots he testifies uh to how careful of a person Ted Crawford is with his car and just with his life in general. He testifies that he saw him come home that night at, I believe, like right around 5 o'clock or just before 5 o'clock, which was early for him, so that's why it kind of stood out. And then he testified again that he heard and reported the gunshots and that he never saw anyone leave the house afterwards. Yeah, That yeah. was basically his whole testimony. It, it's pretty damning.
1: Um, it may not... It, it wasn't long, but it was... It was fucking damning. That's for damn sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, he sees Crawford come home early. He sees Jennifer Crawford come home later. He hears gunshots. No one leaves the house. He's uh, The gardener's there all day, sees no one else come in or leave until the police get there. The first responding officer, Gonzalo Menendez, he is our next witness in the case. He testifies when the officers arrived on scene. It was uh, 5.42 p.m. on April 20th, 2007. Uh, they were aware of a potential hostage situation, so they weren't going to go in, and that's when they called in uh, Lieutenant Nunnally, and they basically sat outside and waited for Nunnally, and during that time, he testifies that he witnessed no one entering or leaving the premises.
1: Absolutely. They had quite a few responding officers, which is natural in these you know higher-end neighborhoods, and they were able to, which he also stated in, in his testimony, surround the entirety of the home all four quarters um which i
0: really nobody can get past them.
1: exactly so i mean they've covered every point oh, that's of entry smart. good it's, job lapd yeah well trained
0: <laughs> shout out our next witness is uh dr marion king and dr king she comes in it feels weird saying dr king <laughs> i know man you said that and i'm like hmm <laughs> mm. Dr. Marion King, we'll we'll go with her full name, so it doesn't sound like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. has come back from the dead to uh, testify at this trial. Uh, Dr. Marion King, uh, she testifies basically about Jennifer's State after she's injured, after she's shot, um, how the gunshot entered her head, where it is, what her status is right now. Uh, Basically, the bullet is lodged in her skull, and if it's removed, there's a 90% chance that she's going to die. Um, so currently they have her in a coma state, and she's likely to remain that way until uh, some, something intervenes. Whether they choose to, uh, you know, pull the plug on her or try and remove the bullet, and that would probably change things too. Absolutely. I mean, either way, Doctor Marion King. Um, Doctor Marion King, yes,
1: was was correct in say, stating that due to these wounds Jennifer would never be the same regardless if she woke up or did not um a very very slim chance that she would wake yeah. up from this yes so it's you know also more damning testimony that this is a lethal wound applied with the you know the intent to kill the intent to kill right which is that, that's important for trials like these i assume absolutely intense you know a big yes. intent is a big deal when it comes to
0: you know cases like this so during all of these uh, witness testimonies, and there's one more witness that comes up. But during all these witness testimonies, Ted Crawford is uh, pretty much just sitting there doodling in his legal pad, uh, that, looking befuddled. There are times when the judge prompts him to, you know, try to uh, object, object, yeah. or object. just like, you know, speak up for himself, defend himself, and you know he he does nothing. Um, he just doodles. He provides no cross examination, anything like that just sitting there letting everybody tell their stories uh and then we get to the next witness the final witness of uh, this part of the trial lieutenant rob nunnally
1: the man who took the confession as well as the murder weapon from the well the alleged murder weapon yeah the alleged murder weapon from the
0: defendant so nunnally comes in he testifies that crawford confessed to the shooting uh to shooting his wife after he put that the so You know, Nunnally comes in, Crawford confesses, he puts down his gun. And then he also says uh, that Crawford did not seem impaired in any way. He was, you know, of sound mind when he's confessing. And he even quotes Crawford and saying, It's like I just suddenly snapped, I got the gun, and I shot my wife. I shot her in the head. So that was a direct quote from Nunnally said by Ted Crawford. Um, Again, confession right there. And this is when Ted Crawford finally decides to speak up. He uh, raises an objection, which he does so improperly because, again, no lawyer school here. No idea what he's doing. Um, but the, the judge lets him go on. And, he, again, he doesn't know legal terms for anything. He's asked to try and explain it in layman's terms. And uh, do, do you want to tell us what he said? He
1: basically claimed that
0: Natalie was fucking the victim. Uh, yeah, that's that's a direct quote there. Direct quote uh, direct in a courtroom. in a courtroom. Quote is not only was fucking the victim, uh, and obviously this is a huge shock to everyone who's there. Uh, not only actually attempts to flee from the courtroom while he's on the stand, like he doesn't dismiss or anything, he just gets up and bolts. Um, he's obviously detained by bailiffs. What I don't get is in this trial is how is that not contempt? Well, or... let's
1: we got to Go we got to mention something here. He was making a beeline straight for ted oh was it yes absolutely or at least that's how it came across from the courtroom
0: i almost said courtroom log <laughs> i mean that, there's a courtroom log the stenographer's sitting there typing stenographer yes from yeah. the courtroom to stenographer records right so he goes he go but still how is that to me that that's contempt right you can't just that get wouldn't... up off the stand and try and attack someone i would I mean, view maybe... that as contempt Maybe he was, and just, you know, that was left out of things, or I, I glossed over that part, but I just, I guess I don't fully, and again, hit us on Twitter, I don't understand the ramifications of contempt of court, do you get your own trial date, is it like traffic court, where you just go, and if you show up, you get off with it, do you go to jail right away, like, I don't know how any of that works. Or is it like a tally system, yeah. you know, do these I, just strike three, bitch, you're going down. Or is because, it because not only is a lieutenant in the LAPD, does he, you know, get off easy there, I, I don't know.
1: I imagine he has some leeway, especially as the man who took the confession of Ted.
0: Well, but so that's where it becomes interesting. The the confessions get thrown out now. Um, once the, affair is brought, the alleged affair is brought up, uh, the judge decides in a closed-door meeting that basically all of Crawford's confessions, uh, the one at the scene and during the interrogation, they've got to be thrown out because they were technically improperly coerced because the person he gave the confessions to... Was sleeping with his wife.
1: Yeah, he was under duress when he gave confessions. Therefore, Apparently they that's are frowned upon. Yeah, that's a no-no. Especially, you know, in police departments
0: everywhere and every other level of government. <laughs> don't sleep with someone's wife you're trying to get a per- confession out of. Yeah, don't do that. There you go. Uh, so, at this point, no one knows what to do. The trial is suspended for several weeks uh, to allow finding of new evidence uh, just because everything from that not only everything that not only collected is now fucked Uh, i think that's the proper legal term basically
1: and i think everyone was just scrambling at that point so that was the only decision that the court really had
0: right and uh so at this point the district attorney's office decides to remove beecham from the case uh and just tells him look move on to your new job we don't need you screwing this up anymore because this was supposed to be a layup, and now it's just this crazy, crazy case. And it, it they're made him making, look bad. yeah, they're making everyone. He's making everyone look bad by not being able to handle this layup of a case. So he's told, just move on. We'll give it to somebody else. Don't worry about it.
1: It's it's terrible, especially compounded by the fact that he refused to move on, which. You'd think that after working there for, I'm not entirely sure how long Beacham worked there, but basically it launched his career. It was his platform into getting into Absolutely. this better job, and I mean he's fucking them sideways for his own pride.
0: Yeah, and like like you said, he doesn't want to move on. He he won't let it go. Uh, he begs basically to put it back, be put back on the case. In his book, he claims that. Uh, someone, he assumes Crawford, sent him broken eggshells in the mail. Uh, like, I don't really understand what that means, uh, but he had the, the sense that Crawford was trying to fuck with him, just playing mind games with him, and it really, really just didn't sit well with him, so he got very obsessive over this case at the time. It shook him. It shook yeah. him to his core. Meanwhile, investigators, uh, they they're digging as deep as they can, trying to find this murder weapon, no matter what they do, they they just can't come up with anything during this uh, couple weeks suspension
1: due to due to not being able to find a murder weapon, Beecham had the bright idea to take it upon himself to investigate Crawford and not only further, um at this point, I didn't really consider him an unbiased investigator.
0: Well, absolutely. He's super obsessive over this case, and he's doing everything he can to point a finger at crawford who now looks like you know there may be another suspect in this case you got to think not only he might have done something here It's quite uh, possibly i mean it could be a setup we don't we don't know exactly so and again beecham like he he feels like crawford is fucking with him playing mind games so he's doing everything in his power to point the finger at crawford and he's got blinders on and it's it's like you said, it's really hard for him to be unbiased. But at the same time, the regular investigators aren't finding anything either. So in his mind, something needs to be done, right? So he interviews Nunnally. He finds out uh, that they had an arra- he and Jennifer had an arrangement, and they met anonymously every week at a resort. No names were exchanged, didn't know who each other was, uh, but they would just meet there. And through this, uh, Nunnally believes that they were in love. Uh, I, th- I think that that's a tough sell to me. I, yeah, I, I think if somebody's I, not even gonna let you know their name and and what's going on, like that's not love.
1: Yeah, I, from what only stated, Jennifer told him to refer to her as Mrs. Smith, and he was to be referred to as Mr. Smith. Right, so which are uh,
0: very bland, like at, generic, at a movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith about how these are cover names for, uh, uh what are they, hitmen basically, and that. You know, the, those are their cover names. They're just generic, bland-ass names that nobody's ever going to look twice at. I've never met anyone with the last name Smith. I anyway, do. I have I, a friend named Chris Smith. No, no Shout way. out, Chris.
1: Mr. Smith.
0: Yeah, there you go. Hate it. Um, And also through his research, he finds out that Ted Crawford and his wife were planning a trip for two weeks after the shooting occurred. Now, obviously, they didn't go on this trip. Um, but it was supposed to be coming up right after that shooting. So, like, if they have this trip planned, which is to a remote tropical island, you know, basically a second honeymoon from uh, what Crawford testifies to later. Why would he shoot his wife if they're planning on going on a second honeymoon? Uh, Alibi. Uh, yeah, could be. Or that's what it, could that's be what he I didn't shoot his out. wife. Could be so it's got you asking questions at this point of what's going on why why are these things everything's not falling into place as it should be to point the finger at ted no it's he's making it complicated he's kind of he's protected from two directions there's there's definitely some reasonable doubt coming into shape here it's hard not which is which is important in a trial case
1: reasonable doubt
0: is always important i mean that's Uh, the
1: difference between guilty or not
0: guilty Exactly. And he, uh, Beecham also reviews security tapes from the getaway resort that Nunnally and Jennifer spent their time in. Um, and in that review, he sees that Crawford was at the resort on the day the murder happened. So again, you know, he could have had this trip planned. And then that's when he found out right there is when he f- goes to that resort. Like he found out that day, he goes to the resort to confirm it. And then something goes wrong later, right? Absolutely. So now, now you're getting less reasonable doubt. it's shifted back to Crawford. Like there's so much going on in this. Well,
1: and unfortunately, as what Beecham stated is that you he knew it was Crawford, but in a court of law, it would never stand up.
0: Right. So there's it's just... still reasonable doubt there. And honestly, in a guilty or innocent, uh, black and white kind of state. I think i'd have to lean towards innocent right now at this point in my like i obviously i know how everything plays out i get it but like at this point chronologically researching through this like i gotta think this dude's innocent or at least have a face or at least there's reasonable doubt and you can't say he's guilty exactly i mean if
1: you can't definitively say like he said beyond a reasonable doubt if you don't have a face so, regardless of how Beecham fell in his gut, the court's not going to side with him when it came to that.
0: There's that. There's no There's no actual eyewitness. There's no murder weapon, or attempted murder weapon. Uh, without Jennifer waking up and pointing the finger at him, uh, uh, there's nothing that actually links him directly to the crime, other than a coerced confession. Confession
1: under duress.
0: Yes. Uh. So then, you know, beecham's doing all this research uh, investigating everything like that time for the trial to start back up beecham finds nothing concrete as we've just talked about there's nothing that he can hold on up against him and say this guy definitely did it uh so crawford in the little bit of legalese that he knows moves for a motion of acquittal due to insufficient evidence uh you know the judge checks with him checks with beecham again he restates he has no further evidence and uh, the judge basically declares that the motion for acquittal is granted. And Crawford walks free at this point. Walks free, man. Unbelievable. He's, he's seemingly gotten away with attempted murder. Uh, but at the same time, his gun wasn't fired. He's playing a second honeymoon. There's a case to be made that he is actually innocent. He didn't do this. In the court of law, he is innocent. Oh, he's absolutely innocent in the court of law. But uh, even in my brain, like, there's there's room there's wiggle room like I, I still gotta think like nunnally was there nunnally had the opportunity had the motive if something happens maybe he's trying to attack uh what's his nuts he's trying to attack ted and and it slips and he hits jennifer like who knows anything could have happened here
1: quite possibly nunnally could have walked in uh you know follow jennifer home and discovered that she was in fact a married woman and therefore you know goes into maybe she was maybe he was firing on ted accidentally hit jennifer you're right it definitely brings some doubt into the mind
0: yep and on the same hand on the other hand the other hand not the same hand on the same foot son (laughs) it's really possible that ted crawford is way more guilty than we or anyone in that courtroom could have realized and he's just really, really, really good at having a plan. And he'd have to be, right? Unbelievably good. Like, he would have had to find out about this affair months ago. Plan this trip. Uh, f- buy two of the exact same gun. Shoot the perfect number of bullets. Wipe all the prints clean. Figure out where to hide the actual gun he shot. And hand in the gun he didn't shoot. Like, that that's in an insane amount of planning, which from everything we've heard from witness testimony and other people says... You know, he was a meticulous planner. So uh, it fit um, him, his M.O. Yeah, it's it's really hard this time. Um, so Crawford, as we said, he walks free. But then something else happens. Moments after the trial. Bystanders report gunshots outside the courtroom in the courthouse, but outside of the courtroom. And officers on the scene. Not only has apparently shot himself in distress over losing Jennifer and Crawford walking free.
1: Seeing Crawford walk free broke this man.
0: Yep. He he really, really needed Beecham to catch him. And that didn't happen. No, he put all his
1: eggs in Beecham's basket. And,
0: yeah, and there was even talk, um, or I don't know if talk's the right word, but, but there are reports that he even tried to basically have Beecham plant evidence or fudge the case a little bit to make it look like uh crawford is guilty and yeah, I, I i couldn't find any yeah i could find any concrete, evidence
1: yeah but i you know i, I found the rumors throughout and it's right. it's, that's, hevi- that's it's heavily
0: theorized that that not was trying to everything he could to get you know uh crawford committed for this and Again, to me, that speaks to maybe Nutley had something to do this and was trying to frame someone else. Maybe he was trying to frame Crawford and was planning that, like that, was going to be his getaway with Jennifer. Uh, it, but, it certainly but, makes but him things, look But awful. things went wrong, and obviously Jennifer uh, was uh, not fatally, but gravely wounded and put into a coma. Like that, uh, it, it could be said that Nutley had been planning this for a while and was trying to frame Ted.
1: He he has the resources to figure out that you know, who she was and you know that she was married, etc. That thing, I mean, he could absolutely have been corrupted and corrupted by jealousy. I guess is a good way to say it. And when you look at the facts,
0: shooting he, himself. He after wants her the to loss, not be married, and she won't if she won't divorce her husband. Well, then he's got to do something else. Well, he's, he just can't take it. Mm-hmm. so then an investigation goes into not only suicide obviously during this investigation it's actually discovered that the gun he used him on himself is the same model type uh that ted owned and supposedly used in the attempted murder so it's not the exact same gun obviously but it, it's the same type of gun it uses the same type of well i'm not a gun person so i don't know all it's the, the same it's the same
1: make and model right thank you um uses you know, the
0: same bullets everything like same that. same ammunition 45 so,
1: caliber i believe
0: so this points even further to not only may be responsible they've got the same gun but it also points to maybe crawford's really smart and found out not only had the same gun so he made sure he bought that gun like there's so much going on here and i still don't know what to think i
1: know absolutely not and it goes both ways crawford could like we said earlier easily investigate ted find out everything there is to really he has more resources to do so than ted but you know just based off court records and and witness testimony ted's a brilliant guy so he has that and going for super him. super duper rich super i mean yeah that's that's even better resources yeah. but he
0: has more uh like legal and police force and evidence type resources which and this is but Ted has that's... a lot more fucking money <laughs> Which uh, we all
1: know in the court system, those are basically on even footing. You'd think evidence mm-hmm. and, you know, procedures and you know, the rule of law would be better, but no. Cash money, baby.
0: Cash rules everything around me. Cash money. Dollar dollar bills, y'all.
1: Dollar dollar bills, y'all.
0: So let's talk about the fallout. Of Boy, this is whole there case. some fucking fallout. I mean, yeah, we've already talked about some of it. Obviously, Nunnally, suicide, that's big, important fallout. We don't want to, like, just gloss over that some one person lost their life another person is on their deathbed in this and the supposed perpetrator is walking free um and since he's walking free ted crawford can make the decision to euthanize jennifer crawford and guess what he chooses that so do you think this is a let's put her out of her misery thing or let's tie up loose end things because it could go either way if my wife were in a coma and it was her. Wit, like, I mean, this would have to be a completely different. I'm not going to make this unilaterally, but in a conversation with her, if she said, like, "No, I don't want to live in a coma for the rest of my life," I would have no problem. You, th- I mean, I'd probably have some. I like, can't. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'd pull that plug so damn fast. Ooh, honey, you wouldn't even know. No, no um, I mean,
1: my wife. But like, me if point it, blank and said
0: that. If that was her choice, and you know, I would, I would have trouble coming to terms with that decision in the moment, but I would ultimately make that choice. That's her choice. Um, so it's, it's hard to put yourself in that situation and think like, well, would I do this? Is he putting her out of her misery? Or if he did this, he doesn't want her to wake up and ID him at some point.
1: It's, it could go both ways, man. And that's the, that's the frustrating part about this case is it constantly is going both ways.
0: Yeah. And, but the important thing is that now that Jennifer is actually dead. They can remove the bullet. Gotta have it. Yep. And uh, when they pull it, it's discovered that the bullet matches Rob Nunnally's gun. So we, so now it looks like that Nunnally actually did this, right? Absolutely. It, it must, it, the only way I can think is in the way that we described before is during the scuffle, kind of crime of passion type thing. He's in the house, maybe accidentally or on purpose trying to frame Ted. But his gun matches that bullet. That bullet was fired from that gun. It, Beecham's it not buying it, though. No. You know, this I mean, is in his in his book. He is still holding tight that Ted did it. And that's why he was at the resort that day. And so Beecham, you know, he tells us in, in his book that he's got a new working theory about how this went down. And just stick with me here. I'm going to run through it real quick. Uh, this is Beecham's theory going into everything. Um, Ted... Theory. <laughs> what theories this shit is yeah, yeah yeah so it starts with ted knew about the affair long before the shooting he would have to to plan all this stuff out ted went out of his way to buy the same gun that nunley had uh i mean their standard issue lapd guns i'm pretty sure you can probably find that out public record somehow what guns they're issued ted bought the vacation tickets to help cover his track as an alibi as you said before uh, ted visited the resort on the day of the shooting to steal nunnally's gun and replace it with his own then ted shot his wife with nunnally's gun when she came home and then when Nunnally arrived on the scene to negotiate the hostage situation he was so distraught over the loss of jennifer that he didn't notice ted switched the guns back because there was that scuffle that gave ted the chance to switch those guns if that scuffle doesn't happen then there's no chance. And now that gives us a little purview into maybe why that scuffle happened. Maybe Ted instigated it in order to pull this off, you know? Uh, No one can find the murder weapon because it's sitting on Nunnally's hip throughout the trial. And nobody's going to look at him because nobody understands, you know, how deep this goes at that time. And so the only thing that in this that Ted couldn't account for was Nunnally killing himself and leaving his gun behind in evidence of his own suicide. Which... Holy fuck, the bad thing Beecham has here is
1: he doesn't have any distinct evidence. Yeah, there's evidence. no, yeah, there's Just no to evidence to,
0: to hold him to this, and it exactly. would never hold
1: up in trial. Well, this is what I think happened. Which, I mean, after the course of events throughout this case, it's it's honestly plausible in my mind. Every step of his theory is plausible in my mind. But without the evidence, it's
0: there's nothing you can do. Right. And there's, there's one other thing that Ted is kind of banking on at this point. Uh, yes, sir. The, the double jeopardy clause. Basically, a person cannot be tried for the exact same crime twice. So he's already been tried for the attempted murder of Jennifer. Can't happen again. Even if Beecham's correct on this, he can't pursue it because Ted's already been tried and acquitted. Can't be tried again. But However, there's a little loophole here. Yes. It's a As different there crime is throughout now. the legal system. Jennifer's officially dead now, and it's a direct result of the gunshot. Ted can actually be charged with murder instead of attempted murder. You see. And technically a different charge. They can now they can test the ballistics and fingerprints on the bullet from Jennifer's head and the gun and Nunnally's gun and find out if there are fingerprints on that bullet and on that gun that matched Ted Crawford. And guess what? That's what happens. Yep. That's exactly what happens. Uh, they find the fingerprints on the gun. They find the fingerprints on the bullet. And uh, the rest is history. I mean, they go to a yeah. second trial. The second trial is really actually pretty boring. Uh, they have damning evidence. Yeah, damning evidence.
1: Yeah. You know, he basically admits in open court to what happened. And yep. so subsequently he was sentenced to life in prison um on December 18th of 2007 so you know a couple months after
0: yeah and like i said really at nothing of consequence happened all the weird stuff happens in the first trial and then the second one's just mostly boilerplate stuff um and he gets sentenced so that is the case of Jennifer Crawford how she died what happened in this crazy crazy case um should we just give a summary of of what actually happened what the I know I just kind of did this, but maybe just to clarify one last time, a rundown of what happened in this case that led to this woman's death. Uh, Ted Crawford one day snuck into uh, Jennifer Crawford and Rob Nunnally's getaway resort, stole Rob Nunnally's gun and replaced it with his own that had been never used and did not have his fingerprints on it while they were together outside. Uh, There's video evidence that confirms Ted was on the property ...on the day of the shooting. Uh, Ted returns home before Jennifer on the night of April 20th, 2007. Jennifer returns a little bit later. Ted shoots her in the head and fires three additional shots... um, ...which is all overheard by the gardener who reports it. The bullet and evidence from this crime remains in Jennifer's skull... ...as long as she's alive and in a coma. Can't be recovered. No fingerprints can be checked. Anything like that. Um, So the gardener calls the police... Uh, the police respond and then not only comes a little bit later due to the potential hostage situation and while inside gets in a scuffle with Ted after he discovers that it was actually Jennifer who was shot and this is his lover and that Ted shot her and now she's in a coma So once he discovers that the, the scuffle breaks out during the scuffle Ted switches the guns back uh, so now Ted has his own clean gun and not only has the one that actually shot Jennifer and in this case, it looks like uh, maybe Ted was trying to frame Nunnally for the murder, uh, but that just never came to be because Nunnally killed himself. It also could be the reason that he bought the vacation tickets to show, you know, he wouldn't have killed her. That's his alibi. If he's trying to frame Nunnally for the murder, you know, I was going on a trip. Why would I kill her? Um, so th- those vacation tickets kind of keep coming into the trial here, or into the case a little bit. Um, Ted gets charged with attempted murder, goes to trial. Uh, they're unable to find any substantial evidence against Ted. Uh, the confessions that he gave originally, they were deemed coerced since only was present for both of them and only was having an affair with the victim, who happened to be the suspect wife. And so at that time, Ted is acquitted of the charge of attempted murder. Uh, Not only kills himself shortly after the trial, very, very shortly, uh, with the same gun that shot Jennifer. Now, it's kind of poetic, huh? It's same same way. In a way. Romeo and Juliet-esque. There we go. Yeah. Bring them into this. Poor couple bastards. A couple of great kids. <laughs> and then while investigating Natalie's <laughs> suicide, it's discovered that his gun is the same as Ted and uh, a potential switch may have occurred. Uh, again, Beecham's the only one who thinks this at this time. Everybody else is just kind of moving on with their lives. But as obsessed as Beecham was, this really stuck with him. So he wanted to make sure he got it right. And if there was even a chance that Ted had something to do with this, he was going to pursue it. Um, After Jennifer is euthanized, the bullet can and is removed from the skull and matched with the murder weapon and scanned for prints. Um, And also, now that Jennifer has died as a result of the gunshot, Ted can be charged with murder instead of attempted murder. And so Ted is arrested and charged, and Ted is found guilty and sentenced to life in prison.
1: Yeah. He...
0: Well, he confesses, basically,
1: in the end. Right. But found guilty, sentenced to life in prison. He...
0: Overarching didn't didn't work out for the guy. No, absolutely not. Don't don't shoot people. Yeah, don't shoot very, people. Yeah. We'll get you. The legal <laughs> system will fuck you up. Absolutely. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on the case besides don't shoot people? Mind fuck. Yeah, Let absolutely. me say that
1: again. Mind fuck. Um, it 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 was a complete blind side for me. I just did not expect it to go the way it went. And the the pieces involved were just so broad and so expansive, it, it was hard to keep track of everything. But it when it kind of when it when it finished up with Ted sentenced to life in prison,
0: I honestly I was pretty pretty satisfied with that end result. Yeah, that's that's where this should have ended. Obviously, after we've gone through all of this, um, I I kind of had the same thought. In my mind, it was a whirlwind. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I can't believe that they actually tracked this dude down twice and actually got him. You know, it's it's hard enough to pin something on someone once and then he gets away and then they have to do it again and have a substantial case both times. Um, just for this, like, I wouldn't be able to handle the world of lawyering. Like, it's, there's so much bullshit in it. Like, this guy clearly did it from the jump. I know we had some theories in the middle, but that was more to play devil's advocate than it was actually what we thought since we obviously went through the whole case and knew what was going on but like he clearly did it and if he hadn't been stupid enough to euthanize her he would have gotten away with it even if they made the gun connection after the fact he would have gotten away with it because you can't try him for the same for the same crime Mm
1: -hmm. so it would have been long it was
0: only his stupid his own stupidity in euthanizing her
1: his arrogance
0: his arrogance that's what it is his arrogance That led him to do that, to tie up loose ends or whatever he was trying to do, and it it got him in the end, and I'm glad it did. I I completely agree with you. Justice is served in this situation. Absolutely. Uh, So if you guys liked our little foray into the crime podcasting world, let us know on Twitter, at APA something. Uh, We'll definitely try and do more if you guys liked this. If you didn't, then send us a fuck you on Twitter, at APA something, and we'll send you one right back. Yep. um this it like we've been off for this month but honestly or for the month of september but honestly a lot of it has been working on this we knew we were doing this so we wanted time to put in the work and the research uh it's a lot deeper than our usual episodes go uh of the like three thirty 30 minutes to three hours of googling that we do for a usual episode <laughs> and just our own brain knowledge yeah i was gonna say our residual knowledge from yeah. years of <laughs> from geeks. from watching a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, so if if you guys like them, we will try and do more, but they will be few and far between just because of how much work goes into them. Um, but if you guys like it, we'll definitely come back for more. Um, if you're a new listener, we've got a lot of great stuff out there. Um, we have a merch store at tpublic.com/apa-something. Can check out our merch, buy t-shirts, hoodies, mugs stickers like whatever you want our logo on it's there it's um, fucking there I got and it's a all good stuff cool t-shirt yeah I, my the t-shirt i got um i was
1: i was back and i got an apa something t-shirt in purple it was very nice. nice it's
0: it's like purple velvet this t-shirt is so comfortable i've got a hoodie and i live in florida so i haven't been able to wear it yet but it's coming soon i'll be able to wear it soon yeah maybe in like three or four years well i meant more like months but okay yeah I don't know how cold cold it actually gets. Involved. I mean, it's it's not a a yearly cycle. It, we still have seasons. There, the the cold one is just very very short. What what? Give me an example. How cold does it get there? Fifty. Fifty, 50 would be the coldest. Dude, that is shorts night. and t-shirt weather. Oh, absolutely. Here. But you can still rock a hoodie in it. Uh, It's a nice lightweight hoodie. Anyway, we're getting off track here. Uh, We also have a Patreon page. uh, It's patreon.com slash podcast about something with a lot of great bonus content over there. Again, if you're a new listener coming in for because this is a crime episode and you like that, we've got a lot of other stuff that you might like, too. We do basically any and everything. We do movies, TV, uh, fantasy, fiction, anything you can think of we're all over sports, the place. rap albums, rap <laughs> like, albums. We yes. got shit out the the Wazoo guys. It's The fun. Wa- check fucking out. Zoo. Yeah, Faw so suit. check out more episodes while you're here. There's definitely something for everyone and now that we've got crime put on the list as well, there's really something for everyone. Absolutely. Uh so thank you for listening. Check out the Patreon page. There's a lot of good stuff over there. And also, let us know on Twitter if you've figured out the little uh easter eggs that we snuck into this episode uh for only our most eagle-eyed or, I guess, eagle-eared listeners, it would be. Hit us at APA something and uh, at alone underscore podcast uh, if you've figured out what we've done here with the, the Easter eggs throughout this episode.
1: And let me just say this. My FBI agent, whoever's listening,
0: you can't oh, yeah. guess. Kind of episode it's on not that too. fair. It's not fair, guys. Just saying. I mean, but but we love the uh, the interaction, too. So FBI, if, if you want to. NSA, whoever's listening. <laughs> Hit us up yeah hit us up we're we're there to chat (laughs) so again thanks for listening and uh as always our the music for podcast about something is provided by those cats and you guys stay sassy stay classy